1: You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network.
0: Ancient tools and
1: burials, plants and seeds, Neanderthals. All these things we make no apology
2: are the study of archaeology. Welcome to the Archaeology Fantasies Podcast, Episode 20. I'm your host, Sarah, with my co-host, Ken Fader. And today, we're discussing the crystal skulls. What are they? Where'd they come from? Can they really heal my cat or project an image onto my wall? Stick around and find out and get ready to think critically. Welcome to the Archaeology Fantasies podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, with my co-host, Ken Vader.
3: Hi, Sarah. How are you? It's hot here. Oh, God. It's hot in Connecticut. It's hot and humid, and it's just absolutely miserable. <laughs> but, uh, you know... But it's but And it's September. I mean, I can handle this in August, July and August. That makes sense. But September, we should be kind of rolling out of the... Roll it into fall, but not quite yet.
2: Okay. So that's enough weather. We have a yeah. really interesting topic to talk about today.
3: And it's not the weather.
2: No. But we should do something on the weather. I'm sure there's something to do with pseudo-archaeology and the weather at some point.
3: Well, we're going to talk about the Crystal Skulls today, and maybe the Crystal Skulls of Doom are, uh, maybe they're the ones screwing up the weather. I mean, you don't know.
2: I bet I could find a claim linking the Crystal Skulls to the (laughs) weather.
3: Well, you can find a claim linking them to just about anything. I can,
2: actually. I found some really nice articles on what the Crystal Skulls are capable of doing, um, as well as articles on what the Crystal Skulls cannot do.
3: So It's awesome to know that at least they have limits. There are limits to the, the horrible catastrophes that are possible when you're in the presence of the crystal skulls. So there's hope. There's hope for humanity.
2: There is. So you, you have written about the crystal skulls a little bit. And there yeah, was absolute. also a really nice article that was put out in 2008. Um, would you like to give us an introduction to what exactly the crystal skulls are?
3: Yeah, and you know what? Like one of the things that I know that we've done a number of times, we've sort of, sort of followed a, a similar pattern in a number of these shows, is by giving a little context from a broader archaeological perspective, um, and then gone into the actual artifact that we're talking about, whether it's the newer Holy Stones or the 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 Coso spark plugs. And well, in this gives, case, it gives people skulls. a
2: base to start from. Yeah.
3: But, but the, the, here's the deal. One of the things that, that we're going to bring up again and again and again, we talk about the Crystal Skulls, is the lack of any documentation. In other words, these artifacts cannot, not a single one of them, and there are supposed to be like 13 of them, not a single one has any um, diagnostic archaeological documentation. None of them can we say it came from this site, from this excavation unit in this site, and from this stratigraphic level. We can't. And that's really incredibly important. Um, Archaeologists listening to this podcast, or people with only a passing familiarity with archaeology, have to know that context. And association are absolutely vital in doing archaeological field work we are obsessive about recording where everything has been recovered where it's from what from what level from what two-dimensional horizontal location those individual objects were found where they're found, and the associations what they were found next to nearby within and so on And we don't have that for any of the crystal skulls and the i'll give you right. an example of a non-crystal skull artifact that that is the same kind of deal. Um, a few years ago, I was asked to be a consultant on a f- film about the Michigan relics, which is another topic that we might actually want to discuss on this podcast. We've kind these of are, these danced are the-
2: around those, so yeah, we should totally hit those. Yeah, yeah,
3: so. it's a really cool topic, and these are artifacts that were found end of the 19th, beginning of the 20th centuries, in in michigan there are thousands of them and they're supposed to be they have writing on them that are maybe it's greek maybe it's roman maybe it's egyptian maybe it's a whole host of other things anyway so i there was a, so i was a consultant not not on air i was behind the scenes and one of the people who was interviewed on the show was wayne may wayne may is an arch diffusionist he is the editor of ancient american magazine which if if you have a diffusionist idea, you can get published in it in in the Ancient American. It's it's just just absolutely nothing but articles that say it was Romans, it was Hebrews, it was Egyptians, whoever came to the New World long before Columbus. And it's on the read. Show, if you've never
2: picked up an art, an issue of it, it's a fun read.
3: Oh, it's it's. Well, it's fun. I guess you have to define fun, but it's, it's maddeningly hilarious. (laughs) Anyway, anyway, so Wayne May was on, was interviewed on this. And one of the things that I talked to the, the producer about, I said, listen, if somebody's going to be a diffusionist and they're going to say, well, this is what we believe have, have them ask them to bring on physical evidence, an artifact that they believe proves the, the um, existence of, these um, Europeans or Asians or Africans before Columbus, before the Vikings in the New World. And so when Wei-Mei on air shows an artifact, which is a small oil lamp, and he introduces it by saying, Listen, if you saw, if you found this oil lamp in an archaeological excavation in the Middle East, in Turkey, in Israel, in Syria, in Lebanon, you'd think nothing of it because they have lots and lots and lots of these there. But this was not found in Turkey. This was not found in Lebanon, not found in Syria. This was found in West Virginia. And so we're supposed to draw from that the fact that clearly ancient people from the Middle East, maybe 2,000 years ago, had come to West Virginia. But then Wayne May goes on to indicate the context of the discovery, was it an archaeological site? Do we have three-dimensional locational data? Do we have proveniences? Was it in situ? No, he got it from a guy who bought it at an estate sale in West right. Virginia. Well, holy God, that's not archaeological context. That doesn't prove it. That doesn't prove it anything. We have no idea where that oil lamp originated. All we know is it was in some dead guy's possession in West Virginia. Somebody bought it and passed it along to Wayne May. Now, the yeah. funniest part about that particular example is that when I saw the oil lamp in the video, I recognized it immediately, not the specific lamp, but the style. And I recognized it immediately because my father, who liked to collect little, you know, legally antiquities, had one in his condo in florida and i asked my dad i said you know i know you bought that so where did you get that and apparently there's an auction house in new york city that you can go online i'm not going to give you the name of it you can find it online you can go online and buy these things and they're like 50 bucks each or 60 dollars. so that anybody can purchase one of these artifacts keep it in their collection Maybe they'll know where it was from, but they die, They pass it along. And now somebody buys it in an estate sale in West Virginia, gives it to Wayne May. And he's figured that, wow, this is proof, evidence that ancient Israelites or whoever were in West Virginia a couple of thousand years ago. The problem there is that oil lamp is is completely devoid of archaeological context. We can't trace it. We have no idea where it came from. And in this case, this was a legitimate artifact, but we have no way of assessing, is it real? Is it fake? Or is it real, but it came from somewhere else entirely? That just, is, that's the lesson for this, the crystal skulls. When we talk about them, we can talk about the, the modern analysis that's been done on these things to show that they're modern, but fundamentally, bottom line, we don't know where these things were actually from because we have no documentation for any of them.
2: But that Wayne May story, I mean, that's just so blatantly, like, who? You're going to say
3: dumb, aren't <laughs> You're going to say yeah. dumb, Sarah. Um, I'm, trying, just, I'm, trying
2: well, to be, I'm trying not to use strong language like that, but yeah. It's, it's
3: foolish. It's archaeologically foolish. Anybody yeah, I mean, with even for something like Wayne May.
2: I mean, even he should have been like, eh, maybe not this one.
3: I mean, it's an interesting artifact, and it probably is a legitimate artifact. It's just not it doesn't show what he expects it to show. But Anybody yeah, with I mean, a How
2: could it? You found it in a garage sale.
3: <laughs> essentially, essentially, exactly so. Yeah. I mean, that's a years just ago, a good bargain shopper yeah. you are. I was going through, uh, you know, typically doing an archaeological survey, and a guy in his garage had a cigar box full of local spear points and arrowheads. And in the right. midst of all that, there was an Egyptian scarab. Now, listen, I was doing an archaeological survey in the Farmington Valley of northwestern central Connecticut. I really doubt that that scarab that ended up in his artifact box was found by somebody walking a plowed field in Simsbury or Avon or Canton, Connecticut. The odds are it was picked up at another garage sale or brought back from Egypt, thrown in a, in a box of cool stuff, cool artifacts. The problem there is that, you know, somebody dies, they, they pass it down to somebody else, and then all, we don't have any, any proveniences or context. We have a right. box full of artifacts. We have no idea where it came from. Yeah, which a box which full leads of
2: us... in, an, in a dubious oral history.
3: Yeah, there exactly, exactly. Um, which brings us perfectly—that's a perfect, I think, segue or introduction to the story of the crystal skulls. And right. here's the deal: I'll give the I'll give the basic background if you want, Sarah. Listen, um, and and really, they, 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 these things show up, and that's the only word I can use. I can't say discovered. I can't say excavated. I can't say you know recovered archaeologically because we don't know any of those things. All I can say is they show up. If somebody says, hey, look, I've got a crystal skull, beginning in the second half of the 19th century, all together, I actually have seen photographs of all of them together which, which is weird because one of the myths about it is when you get all 13 together, that marks the end of the, the, the universe or something like that. And I got a photograph okay. of all 13 of them together and I missed that article in the newspaper about, well, the universe is gonna end now. But there are about 13 of them, they're variously sized, um, they are in each case they are individual large crystals, and there's a, there's a wide range in size, from a few inches across the, to you know I think more than a foot across is the largest one, or several inches anyway. And each one is a single crystal that's been cut into the shape of what looks like a human skull. Most of them I think are the the, the mandible and the and the cranium are one piece of crystal, but I believe in yeah. at least one or, or two the the mandible the lower jaw is actually a separate carving so that they they fit together these things well, have been none fat- of them
2: none of them look like actual skulls they look like really artistic renditions of a human skull kind of like yeah, a Cinco yeah. de Mayo, not Cinco de Ma- but a day of the dead kind of sugar skull look
3: yeah they're not photorealistic but then again no. i'm we're i'm looking in my office right here and somewhere or somewhere in the living room uh, when I was in the Yucatan, I went down this little – this is years ago. went down this little dirt road and found a modern Maya wood carver, cool, cool guy, who was carving um, uh, replicas of Mayan glyphs. You could buy for several hundred dollars this gorgeous replica of the Palenque sarcophagus lid carved in wood. I didn't have the money or the space to, to bring that back home, but I bought a – this beautiful skull glyph and it's a human skull with like a lotus coming out of it so it's a maya death glyph really pretty so the, the people in mesoamerica did render the human skull in various artistic forms i've seen yeah. skulls in in stone along the bases of of platforms of stone platforms also in the yucatan so the skull is a common motif in the art of the Aztecs, Teotihuacan, the Maya. So that's cool. The, we, the Maya definitely, the Aztecs definitely, other groups in, in Mesoamerica did depict the human skull artistically. Mm. Um, whether, But... In no archaeological excavation, not one, it's not like, well, maybe, no, none, no archaeological excavations in Mesoamerica has there been a crystal depiction, a a single quartz crystal carved into a skull found at any and any legitimate archaeological site. We don't have, nobody can go to a site report and find the documentation of the discovery of one of these skulls. All of these skulls, again, they just sort of show up. And in most cases, they're for sale, which isn't terribly surprising.
2: Yeah. Well, according to uh, Dr. Walsh's article, and uh,
3: Jane, this is Jane Walsh, McLaren Walsh. Yeah. McLaren great Walsh. Great article.
2: Yeah she, yeah. she spent, and I'll, I'll put the link up in the show notes, but she spent a great deal of her time looking at the skulls and just studying them as a phenomenon, not necessarily artifacts. Right. Oh. Um, and what, what I like about what she's done here, though, is she's broken them down into three distinct generations. And the
0: first
2: first generation of these skulls actually started off with the finding of beads that were 1.5 inches or so around and were drilled, so they were obviously beads to be used. Um, but right. again, as you said, they just appeared out of nowhere. They're, supposedly they were found in an excavation somewhere in Mexico, but nobody knows where or when or how. There's no rec- rec- uh, record of the excavation itself. Um, right. but, and they were also found during the heyday of the, the archaeological frauds. We've talked about this before. There was a whole era in the Victorian and the early Edwardian times where people were just manufacturing artifacts and just trying to throw them out there to see what sticks.
3: Right, and and clearly these things, and it's you know this for those of you listening. This is not like Sarah's opinion or my opinion. We have very good documentation, at least in the case of a few of these, that somebody was out there marketing these things, that they Mm -hmm. were looking for big money for these amazing artifacts found in Mesoamerica because there was a market for things like that. You know, yes. there has long been a market for Egyptian artifacts, for Native American artifacts, and for Maya and Aztec. Big market for it. So, yeah. and these look; these crystal skulls are really kind of cool looking. And yeah. so, there's, and in in cases, we're talking about instances in which, at least the 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 requests that people were asking for tens of thousands of dollars for these, some of these individual skulls. In fact, the, these things really first show up, it's the like the 1860s or 1870s. There's this fellow, his name is Eugene Boban, who's a Parisian mm-hmm. antiquities dealer. Yeah, And he, he actually, we can source at least three of the skulls to this guy. Now remember, yeah. this guy's in Paris, he's not in Mexico. There's no evidence whatsoever that these things ever saw Mesoamerica or the New World, they show up, in Paris for sale. And again, like right. you say, this is the heyday of this fascination with with the, the alienness of Mesoamerican civilization, and who were they? Were they descendants of Atlantis? Were they settlers from the old world? And here were these skulls claimed to be sourced in these areas. And yet there were talks about, well, it was found in an excavation here or there. There's no record, none, zero, yeah. Um, anybody can say, you know what, I can't tell you the details, but we dug this up in a mound – well, anybody can say that. You need you need photographic documentation or detailed maps or detailed records of where the thing was found. Now, i got to tell you, there are plenty of legitimate artifacts where we have the same criticism, where we can't – we don't know that much about those artifacts. Oh, they may be legitimate, these other things, obsidian mirrors, for example – but people went, dug them up, and without any archaeological context, and tried selling them. So mm-hmm. that's, that's a similar problem to lots of artifacts that turn out to be the real deal, or that appear to be the real deal, because we don't have any documentation. But in the case of the crystal skulls, it's, it's more than the fact – I mean, we, we start with the fact that, look, we don't have any documentation. We have none from those original skulls. Of course, the, those ended up at the Musée de l'Homme in Paris. It used to be called the Trocadéro Museum, I guess – and there's a, and one of them at least ended up in the British Museum. Yes. Um, but here's the cool thing. So you're an archeologist. Let's say Sarah and I are really skeptical about these things being legit. All right, how do we analyze? We don't have any context, but that, that characterizes some legitimate artifacts. How do we today using modern technology actually assess the, what the, the reality of these things? Well, one way of doing it was, is, is we have good, Good ways in analyzing the source of rocks. Um, I think I mentioned before in, in, on this podcast that when I was an undergraduate, we were doing neutron activation of turquoise nice. in the American Southwest and West Mexico. Yes, you mentioned we were able to trace that, yeah. this stuff. Yeah. Um, when the crystals in the crystal skulls, just the raw material, when those have been analyzed, none of them are sourced to Mesoamerica. The sources are Madagascar and Brazil. So you start with a kind of insurmountable challenge, which is, well, if these are legit, how the hell do the ancient Mesoamericans get crystals from Madagascar? That's kind of far away, and no evidence ever that there was contact between Madagascar and Mesoamerica. Now, Brazil's a lot closer. It's South America. But once again, there's not a single trace of evidence that in antiquity— there was contact between the people living in the Yucatan and Belize, Honduras, in Mexico itself and the people of Brazil. So we start with clearly it seems to me these crystals were 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 chosen to be made into skulls not because they were local to Mesoamerica but because they were really cool looking crystals and whoever made these things had no idea that at some point in the future archaeologists and geologists would be able to trace the actual source and that that tracing would show pretty conclusively that they were not legitimate artifacts traceable to Mesoamerica.
2: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned selecting the crystal itself because, you know, the first generation started off so small. The second and the third generations are where the, the skulls became life-sized and larger, which required right. l- must, much larger pieces of crystal. Um, and, and a lot of people don't understand that crystals are a natural occurring stone, uh, it, it happens everywhere. Um, high quality crystal might be a little harder to come by, but it can be gotten. Um, people find, I mean, we still today manufacture uh, crystal gazing balls, um, crystal jewelry mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And it's right. it's so common that in Georgia, that's actually, and in a lot of places down south, that's actually what they do would nap a good deal of the the prehistoric peoples would nap their stone uh, stone tools out of right, we have a, Yeah.
3: we have a little of, of that in connecticut and it's kind of amazing we've got you know the folks here we, we have whole crystals but we're talking about an inch or two long whole beautiful you know geometrically shaped you know prisms of of crystal that we find at archaeological sites and it appears that the local people collected these things just yeah. as keepsakes as important ceremonial objects but we also have like you say we've got some some quartz spear points that are made from when the first time I found a a, a, a spear point made of crystal quartz I thought who's pulling my leg this looks like it's made out of modern glass I it know the really good ones yeah beautiful and the flakes looked like this is glass but then you do a more careful examination you go whoa this is beautiful clear crystal so people did use crystal um yeah. close by to me i'm in i'm in connecticut in new york there's a site a place called in herkimer new york called the herkimer diamond mines they're yeah. not diamonds at all they yeah. are in fact crystals and it's kind of a touristy place now and you can you know for a few bucks they let you um you know pan for crystals or or dig for crystals we're going to talk more about the herkimer crystals because they actually have an interesting role in the whole crystal skull thing but we'll we'll save that for later on um, yeah hang
2: on to that thought because we need to go to break real quick okay and when we come back we'll uh we'll keep talking about uh the third generation of crystal skulls which have some unique properties
4: The CRM Archaeology Podcast brings together a panel of cultural resource management professionals to discuss the issues that really matter to the profession. Find out about networking strategies, job hunting, graduate programs, and much more. We'll often feature interviews with college professors, CRM business owners, and experts as well. Check out the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash CRM arc podcast. Let's get back to the show. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5hourenergy.com and use code 5HETravel to save 20%.
2: Okay, so we're back and we are going to, we are continuing our discussion about the crystal skulls. Do you want to talk about the Herkimer diamonds now, or do you want to talk about it at
3: the No, let's, let's talk about that a little bit later on. So, so, so far we've talked about the skulls that appear, again, not excavated, no evidence of that, but that should have well, appear on the, an, they, on the antiquities market in like 1870 or thereabouts, and that can be traceable to this, this Parisian antiquities dealer, Eugene Bobin, who so, was, he was, he was all about selling stuff, yeah, and so the crystal skulls could make some money. Um, I'm sure he didn't really care what the source was. If people thought it would, they were real and were willing to part with their, you know, their hard-earned cash for these things, he was perfectly content. To yeah, do Boban
2: that. was was okay with selling pretty much anything because uh, he apparently would de- he would uh, exhibit the skulls alongside actual human skulls that he'd gotten from God knows where. So exactly. I mean, the man, we don't want to know. The man was exactly. out for a dollar. I'm sure he was a very sure. nice person. Well, the third generation of skulls is where things start to get really weird. Because uh, the third generation of skulls, again, just appear out of nowhere. And they are purchased by the, eventually purchased by the British Museum. And it's, there's one in particular that comes out of this third generation and it actually has awesome nicknames like the Skull of Doom. Oh,
3: yeah. Oh, the my God. Skull
2: yeah. of Love. And uh, <laughs> my favorite is uh, the Mitchell Hedges skull.
3: That, that Mitchell Hedges, Frederick Mitchell Hedges, is the guy who, who, the, we, who this skull is sourced to. Right. Um, and the, the person who's, who, for years, until her death, which is really not that long ago, I think it was in the, the 2007, Anna Mitchell Hedges, who was the adopted daughter of Frederick Mitchell Hedges, is the person who, for years after her father's death, try, kept making up different stories. The reason I say making up is because every story was a little bit different, What the source was, and what the power of this skull was, and I think hers is the official skull of doom. We need spooky music. If we can put in spooky music behind me when I, when you and I say the skull skull of doom, doom. that would be kind of awesome. That would be pretty funny. But that's. But this one.
2: Go ahead. But let me tell you about the powers because the powers are really fun. So it emits blue light from its eyes, from its eye sockets. And it apparently has a vendetta against computer hard drives, in that it has been known to cause serious and irreversible damage to data on hard drives.
3: No, is that only on Mac? Is that on Macs or just on probably just on Windows? Because Macs are impervious to that kind of stuff. I now, was going to say it's probably no, an Apple problem because no, no. no, 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 no! Awesome. You don't understand. <laughs> no Macs, no viruses, no spyware. On Max you know and no, and no blue lights from Crystal Skulls of Doom have affect Max. No, that's a fact. that's, and that's, a, that's an absolute. And
2: fact. that's because no one takes Max serious enough to try to hack it.
3: Oh my God! <laughs> know, that I, them them's fighting words. I may send you a Crystal Skull of Doom.
2: Right? You send it to my. You send it to me so I can set it next yeah. to my computer. I know better. I know better. There but yeah, go. so so this is so the third generation is when the skulls start to be assigned. Magical powers and I think the reason for that is is because the the third generation of skulls start showing up around the 1930s uh, the early 1930s Mm -hmm. into the mid 1930s and Nothing's wrong with the the 1930s or anything. It's just we're getting more into the modern era. We're getting into the sci-fi. We're getting into You know, just a lot more fiction and a lot more just in general fun stuff out there and a lot more media is available as well, so it's easier to get stories across to people, and it's no longer just telegram and newspaper. I mean, there's there's other ways to tell people weird stories about things.
3: Yeah, and you understand that early on, those first couple of generations of skulls, it was enough merely to say these are incredibly cool artifacts. They're from Mesoamerica. That 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 itself gave these things monetary value. Right. But in the you know in the 1920s and 1930s, now to say. These things are valuable because they're Maya and Aztec. Yeah, that's something. But to then say there are paranormal qualities or aspects of these things, that increases the value of these things. Certainly the interest in them and the value goes up exponentially. Because now it's not just these are cool ancient artifacts. Don't they look interesting? They're death symbols. That's cool. But now they actually are dangerous. They actually can hurt people. Um, right. They're like, Anna, they have Anna, a, a yeah. history behind them. Yeah. Anna Mitchell Hedges. It, the, the nice thing about the Anna Mitchell Hedges skull, the the, the the Mitchell Hedges skull is that we actually know more about it than we know about some of the other skulls only because she told a bunch of stories and we have those written down about where they uh-huh. were found, but we have documents from her father and from other people years before she started hawking this thing and trying to sell it that clearly showed that they bought it. That there, again, there was no context. Her story is something she was at an archeological site and which site it is kind of changes with the stories and that, there was apparently a forest fire that cleared the site and that somebody went down into the, the the ruins of the site after the fire and found the skull. And then somebody else went back in and found the separate mandible. So in her version of the telling this, and again, claiming that she herself witnessed the recovery of this skull, the two pieces of the skull, the cranium and the the mandible that she witnessed its recovery from an actual archeological site Certainly increases the value, the monetary value of that artifact rather than simply saying, well, we don't know where it originated. We bought it at an auction. But right. when you go back into the you know, the documents, the records kept by her father and her her older brother and other people, they clearly talk about where they bought it, who they bought it from. <laughs> Um, so those records all exist before she says, no, oh, no, no, no. They were just trying to hide the truth of it because, you know, they, they smuggled it out. They didn't want anybody to know. But in fact, this thing was found at an archaeological site. Um, so, so this is an interesting.
2: Difference. This is interesting, though, because there is documentation about the skull, and it clearly documents that it is a fake.
3: <laughs> there you go. Exactly. And, and, that it was, and that it was purchased at an auction. Um, right. So we don't, once again, we have no... Archaeological archaeological context, no associations, no provenience, no location, no strat. No, it came from the stratigraphic level. Again, like all the others, it just kind of shows up, Um, which again detracts from. You know, most many archaeologists would say, well, that's that's pretty cool, but so you know, we we can't tell you very much about that thing. It's just some random claimed artifact that has no provenience, that has no um, actual source. She says, by the way, that it was found in 1924. The first documentation about that skull doesn't show up for 12 years later. Right. So she's claiming, like in the 1960s and 1970s and 80s, that the skull was found in the 24 at a site. But all the documentation we have indicates that it, when it appears, it appears in 1936. You know what it's like? It's like a shroud of turin. Is it a shroud of 2,000 yeah. years old? Well, but the very first documentation of the appearance of a shroud, a long winding sheet with the image of Jesus Christ on it doesn't show up until the 13th century. It's 1,300 years, 1,250 years after right. the birth of Christ, the death of Christ. So right. we've got that, that, that gap. There's a real problem there. If you claim the artifact is 2,000 years old, there's no record of it. For 1,300 years, you've got a problem. If you're saying... We found the skull at a site in 1924, but there's no record of the thing even, you know, being in anybody's possession until the 1930s. Again, it it raises, as we've said this before, it raises red flags. We, we are, yeah. there's a warning there, uh-oh, what's going on? Who's pulling a fast one? And it and if, clearly were the people who were trying to sell the skull.
2: Right, and if documentation isn't enough, um, go, yeah. we can get a little bit more sciencey on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, both the british museum and the smithsonian have both examined all of these skulls of the 13 that are out there and accepted Fred, as being a, yeah.
3: of the 13 looked, yeah right and a french lab has actually looked independently now at the yeah. ones that are in their possession of musée musée de l'homme what have they well, found sarah <laughs>
2: Well, they've used light and scanning electron microscopes, which can get down, obviously, to a microscopic level when looking at items, which is great because it helps us conclusively determine that the skulls are carved with modern Laopardy equipment. Because we use this technology in a lot of different um, uh, analyzation of artifacts to not only see uh, the way certain items were manufactured, but there's also this, this whole subset of researchers who are trying to look for like pollen and food bits and things like that are right. left behind on um, prehistoric spear points and stone tools to kind of help out with just life ways and food food substances and stuff that people might have been eating or even how they were using certain stone tools just because it looks like a knife point doesn't mean that it was a knife point right? but but using these, these microscopic techniques, we can get that. So that's why we would have this in our arsenal as archaeologists. And also using this on items that are suspect, it shows quite clearly modern techniques being used. And they're very recognizable because they are uniform. Ooh. And I mean, it's, it's uniform. It's not choppy. That's how you get those nice, shiny, smooth skulls is using all these modern Laopardy techniques. Right. Um, and and every single one of them have come out uh, to be modern.
4: Right. Every single
2: oh, one.
3: oh yeah time. yeah in in every case when they look again uh, high power magnification what they find on the skulls is as you said they find grinding wheels and rotary tools <laughs> and in, in some cases it's really clearly very clearly that these are they're they're ground they, they use grinding machines the same machines that you would use to make beautiful. Cut stone, art you know, cut stone jewelry, or or you know, or polished jewelry. Um, you know, kids, even little kids today can buy these little these, these little devices where you put stones in and it, polishes them, and rounds them all off. That's what yeah. we're looking. We're looking at we're looking at skulls that. It's, I mean, the hilarious thing, of course, is that in some cases the skulls have been claimed to be. I, on the one hand, the claim is made that they date to the Maya, and I've seen claims that they date to thirty thousand years ago, which would which we just, you know kind of inconveniently would put it before the appearance of people in the new world altogether yeah.
2: but yeah, yeah.
3: but again when you look at it's it's the kinds of cross sections left by stone tools as opposed to metal tools the kinds of polish capable uh, that that you can make with stone tools as opposed to metal tools that are that are power tools those are different. They look different macroscopically, and they certainly look different microscopically.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so it's it's very clear. Every one of the analyses of the, the skulls that have been looked at very carefully by different and and completely independent labs using different methods, they've all come to the same conclusion. And what's really cool is the ones that date to the middle of the 19th century, when, when those are looked at, the tools that Must have been used to produce those were not tools of the 20th century, but tools of the 19th century. The Mitchell Hedges skull, which was found for sure shows up in the 20th century, actually evidence of more sophisticated, more technologically advanced tools than the ones found in, in that, that show up in Europe in the 19th century so there's this right, perfect right. correspondence between what tools are being used and when the when these skulls actually show up which is really pretty interesting but and right. again, it's pretty obvious what's 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 at heart what's what's going, what's at the heart of this is that these skulls are being manufactured in the 19th century and the 20th century and clearly the tools being used to produce them are the tools that what the people had at their, disposal differently to different tools in the 19th versus the 20th century which is yeah,
2: either way which, you, either yeah. way you look at it though i mean i'm saying i'm not saying the skulls are real in any way shape or form however they are incredibly beautiful and it does take quite a bit of skill to carve crystal to this level um not using a machine and lasers um which i think is mm-hmm. how they do a lot of it today um right. But, I mean, if you're looking at somebody, the person who made these had a fair amount of skill to make these. So, if nothing else, these are beautiful works of art.
3: Right. Well, you know, the original set of skulls, the skulls that show up in the 19th century, it's hard to trace them. We don't know exactly where they show up, but they show up, they first show up as being sold in auctions that are in places that are not terribly far away from the very well-established stone workers of Germany, People, yeah. these are these are inc- incredibly accomplished um, lapidarists is that the word who in fact worked with quartz crystal. so you got guys mm-hmm. working with quartz crystal who were expert at this who right. f- show who abs- who at the right time and more or less in the right place in Western Europe that's where the skulls first show up. You know, that's, if you're a scientist, you predict, you know, you, you, or you predict if the skulls are real, this is what we should find. And what we should find is that they're made with tools that are, that are not anachronistic, that are legitimate for the period they're supposed to be traced to, which is Mm -hmm. maybe a thousand years ago in Mesoamerica. The tools, the, the, the raw material should be traceable to some local source, or if it's a foreign source, there has to be other evidence that there was contact between those people and wherever this foreign source is. Um... That's if it's legit. If it's not legit, you start thinking, well, the tools should be the being used to produce them are anachronistic. They show up. They don't. They're they're they don't show up in a context that indicates they date to the right period. And you know, if they're fake, you, you figure there's got to be people at the, in that period in the area where they're found who are accomplished at producing these kinds of artifacts. Every one of those predictions is borne out. Yeah. So when you put it all together, you apply Occam's razor. You know what's the you know the don't multiply the entities needed to just to, to explain something right. you, you come to the conclusion that unless there's some absurd alternate explanation which we don't see that's pretty clear that these things are fakes and that a bunch of them the early ones especially were produced someplace in this you know central europe and they were they were produced because of an interest in these things interest in, in native american artifacts especially artifacts from the maya the aztecs um
2: well, Ken, were, I'm here to, tell you, I am here to tell you that there is a reasonable explanation that you and I overlook because we are close-minded mainstream archaeologists. And well, yeah, that is course. that these are the mineralized skulls of Atlanteans and ancient aliens. Ancient want, alien here's aliens.
3: What, here's what I want you to listen. You're rocking my world now, Sarah. I want you to pro. I want you to swear to me right now. You're making that up, and you didn't read this shit on some internet site.
2: I I have it on good authority
3: through, <laughs> oh my through God. the
2: many through the many blogs that I have uh-huh. perused on the internet, which can never be wrong. That yes. these skulls not only are the mineralized remains of our ancient benefactors, but that the skulls themselves are uh capable of healing uh they're capable of expanding our individual psychic abilities and they act as a type of computer and they're able to record energy and vibrations that record that occur around them and then play them back at a later time pictorially i'm going to guess they project them out of their eye sockets onto the wall
3: Oh, like a computer projector, or, or wow. yeah, like a like a like a
2: prehistoric three D projector for all those three D images that they were producing back in the now, prehistoric.
3: They first. wouldn't, by any chance, be showing Indiana Jones and the Skulls of Doom or whatever the hell the, the Indian. The uh, most it was Indiana Jones,
2: Jones and the Crystal Skulls, and thank you. There that you was go. a very good movie. All you people are to hate.
3: I'm sorry, that sucked, but whatever. The oh. first one was a good <laughs> movie. After that, I'm tired. It's <laughs> tedious. It's tedious. Plus, but you know, yet, what, whatever.
2: It was Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, so there.
3: It was still a good oh, movie. All right. Hey listen, if, if an Indiana Jones movie doesn't end with Nazis melting faces, <laughs> I'm not really all that interested. Was
2: say, when you compare Kingdom of the Crystal <laughs> Skulls to uh, Temple of Doom, where we're pulling people's hearts out of their chests while chanting Kali and dropping them into a volcano, and yet no one seems to be sweating from the heat of said volcano. They're both just could, as
3: ridiculous. Sarah. It's just happen. one
2: of them didn't have Shia LaBeouf in them.
3: Yeah, oh uh, Well, you can keep him, but whatever. <laughs>
2: exactly. Yeah, we could have done without him, but. but
3: and who knew that, Indi- that? Who knew that Indiana Jones's father is is double oh seven? I mean, that's that was a revelation, right?
2: I, I will say that was the best of the of the uh, the <laughs> yeah, that trilogy. Cool. That, was that, cool. that was the best movie out of the trilogy.
3: But I mean, um, listen, anybody you know, can say anything on the internet, and those you know, I, I would think that the majority of people, even people who, who think maybe there's something to the crystal skulls, recognize that those kinds of claims are, on the face of it, absurd. You know, what, what, is it, what does any of that even mean when we have clearly, these are rocks, these are crystals, this is a mineral, these are things that we can analyze, and that none of this other stuff that is being claimed has ever manifested itself while these things are being investigated or analyzed. You know, it's just sort of Great story. Um, I got one about Santa Claus and the and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny for you as well. But how about let's look at something a little bit less kind of loopy and look at again. Even if you claim these things are legit, there are ways of assessing that scientifically. And we'll, you know some of these other claims that that abound on the internet are at their heart they're not scientific because they're not testable.
2: Well, and we will discuss the testability of internet claims uh, when we come back from our last break. And Fantastic. maybe we'll even get to the Herkimer Diamonds.
3: So, Oh, we got to, yeah, absolutely.
4: The Archaeology in AL podcast presents a monthly series of lectures on all aspects of archaeology. These lectures are part of the Archaeology in the City program, hosted by the University of Sheffield in England, and are held at the Red Deer Pub near the end of the month. The podcast can be heard a few days later. Check out the Red Deer if you're in the area, or find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the show.
2: And we are back, and we're going to keep talking about checking facts on the internet, because... (laughs) Yeah, really. Okay, so here's the problem with that, though, really, if you think about it. How, I mean, how are you going to check those facts? You're going to Google something else on the internet. So you're, (laughs) you're kind of in, like, this weird paradoxical loop where... You're trying right. to verify facts with other facts that you found in the same place that you found the bad facts. So yeah. this is it's, where the critical I mean, thinking comes into play is the ability to right. discern good facts from bad facts.
3: And I mean, the truth is that, that listen, and of course I'm going to say this as a university professor, as a scientist, somebody with training, a PhD and all that. Of course I to say this, look, you when you look, when you're looking at sources online or anywhere, you know, consider the backgrounds of the people who are making the claims. Are they, they have an axe to grind? Are they trying to prove something? Are they trying to sell you something? Or are they people with, gee, they have a lot of experience looking at, doing archaeology, a lot of experience writing about the uh, ancient past. Now, they're not always going I'm not always going to be right. But of course not. But maybe the, you know, your, your odds are better of finding somebody who knows what they're talking about if they have a track record, and that track record is verified by other people in their discipline. Are, are like we an I echo chamber? No. Anybody who thinks that archaeology is an echo chamber simply doesn't read the archaeological literature. And hearing us yell at one another and dispute each other's um, conclusions, we are not an echo chamber at all. And so, to be fair, you know, if- though,
2: the average person does not have access to the same archaeological texts that you and I do. They don't oh, have access yeah. to our published yeah. site forms and that and right. the conversations that we have.
3: So, but 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 the Smithsonian has a website. And the Smithsonian yes. has one of the crystal skulls. And the British Museum has a website. And you know the websites that are put up by established museums, by universities. Again, not always going to be right. Maybe they're, you know, maybe they get stuff wrong part of the time, but again the odds are better that the people putting that information on these websites have a background in uh, in the relevant fields of science or history so that you're, the odds of finding something that is in fact correct about the crystal skulls the uh, the uh, the odds are greater that you'll find something that's that's supportable by data on a website put out by an established museum or a university than some guy in his garage. Bottom line here is Giorgio Tsoukalos of Ancient Aliens fame, what's his background? It was, it was in sports, in, in, in uh, representing weightlifters. That doesn't mean he's wrong. That doesn't mean he's dumb. He's far from it. But it means yeah. that, well, you know, his background doesn't really give us a lot of confidence that what he knows about these things is verifiable or is based in fact.
2: And I think you also, I mean, along the lines of... And I I'm, I want people to understand I'm not making an appeal to authority here. What I'm trying to say is the consensus of people who are qualified to be part of a consensus should sway you a little bit one way or the other. But the part of the problem that we're running into here with people who believe in the power of the crystal skulls and believe in the stories of Atlantis and aliens coming down and then mineralizing the remains into these crystal skulls they don't it doesn't matter to them that you have a degree or that the Smithsonian is a is an institution of, of higher learning. Those things actually play against us. Well sure. Because yeah. they don't trust, like I called this earlier, they don't trust us mainstream archaeologists. They don't they think we're closed-minded. They think that mm-hmm. we have an agenda. They think that we're trying to uphold some kind of great conspiracy. And when you confront them about that and you say, what, what possible benefit do I have as weird as it would be for these skulls to be really the crystallized remains of an ancient alien astronaut. If that were true, that would be really cool. But again, it changes nothing about reality. So what would the possible benefit be for me to make, for me to not come out about that?
3: Yeah. It's important to point out here that I am not saying, hey, you should all trust me because I have a Ph.D. The fact that I have a Ph.D., what that means is that I studied archaeology for years, that I had to write a, a, a detailed book about archaeology that other people read that book and were very skeptical and very critical and helped me on my way towards producing a better piece of work. And so that that does count for something. That doesn't make me right. doesn't make me better than anybody else. But it means that I have experience analyzing things like artifacts, and I can bring that experience to the Crystal Skull, to the newer Coley Stones, to a bunch of other things. And my only agenda, my only agenda is... I, you know, it's it's kind of a cliche, but my only agenda is truth or knowledge about the past. That's the only thing I care about. And it's not disproving the crystal skull. It's not disproving that Hebrews were building burial mounds. It's that those are interesting claims. Do they stand up to the harsh reality of of the artifactual record, the archaeological record? And what we're saying here is, no, they don't.
2: They like, clearly all. do not. Like, Not only yeah. do they not hold up to it but they actually have the exact same things we are asking for to prove them to be real only proving them to be wrong (laughs) fakes
3: can can we talk about herkimer diamonds for a second yes i want i want to hear about these i mean i i know
2: what herkimer diamonds are but i want to know why they're so interesting all right Uh, why they're so
3: interesting here we go everybody knows who dan Aykroyd is right dan Aykroyd, who was one of the original people on saturday night live you're a little yourself. bit, but he's an original here. Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd, and everybody knows Dan Jane, is, yes. Jane Curtin and all those guys. And Dan Aykroyd got a little bit loopy. Well, I mean, his, you know, Ghostbusters is a comedy and it's fiction, but Dan Aykroyd for years has claimed he really believes in ghosts and paranormal. He had his own TV show called The Psy Factor, in where he was, he was kind of. Like the Rod Serling, the narrator, but the the episodes were presented as real deal ghosts and paranormal stuff. So he has, unless it's all part of an elaborate now. joke, he's he's into that stuff. Dan Aykroyd has a company that produces. Are you ready? Vodka that comes in a glass skull bottle. And That's Dan it- Aykroyd's Ay- company. He calls it Crystal Skull vodka. Yes. Um, what we have got to do is there's a wonderful I, I think My God,
2: I, I, I love I don't like to drink it, but I love those bottles like you would not believe. Well I want he, one badly. There was
3: there there until fairly recently there was a YouTube video where Dan dressed up in a suit is is a is a shill for Crystal Skull vodka and talks about the mystical crystal skulls and how they based the bottle on the crystal skulls because of this kind of mysticism. Where the Herkimer diamonds come in is that the the claim is made, and I have no reason to dispute the claim, that the water they use for the vodka is incredibly special because it's filtered through Herkimer diamonds. So that somehow the crystals make the water extra powerful or pure or clear or something and that, that that makes that vodka like the best vodka and i i am not a drinker man i don't drink i've heard from people who say well it's a cool bottle <laughs> you know it's not like the best quality vodka but that's the claim is made and again I, if if I, you can look for it yourself sarah i'll look for it on youtube oh no or... i
2: i've seen the skulls i i've seen yeah. them and i want one but
3: no i'm talking about the video where oh, the, video. the, the yeah. extended commercial, the extended oh, yeah. form commercial for the vodka, where Dan Aykroyd presents himself as the representative of the company, and they talk about filtering. And again, these Herkimer diamonds are not diamonds at all. They are quartz crystals, and quartz crystals are cool, but there's nothing particularly special about them. There's a lot of there are a lot of quartz crystals in the world, and I am not a chemist. You would need a chemist to explain why filtering water through little quartz crystals would have any effect or impact on the water at all. Because unless the I have crystals no idea are but I found microscopic, the commercial. Yeah. I mean it's so if you would put that up online, it's hilarious and wonderful. Dan Aykroyd, I'm never sure with him if he's really sharing what he believes or if there's a, a if it's a parody after all. But uh you know he puts on that kind of fake Dan Aykroyd off the voice of authority. Um and they, it makes definite, they make a specific and explicit correlation between the <laughs> skull bottle that they use, their vodka, and the very powerful mystical crystal skulls of uh, the Aztecs and the Maya. So, so you yeah, just put my out mind, because I
2: did not know that he owned crystal skull
3: <laughs> vodka. Does he, I'm, is he own it, an owner, part owner, or just the representative? But he's he's the face of crystal skull vodka.
2: Well, somebody has I have, to be. The rest of them are just skulls.
3: Here's the deal. I really want one of those bottles, but I was I'm too cheap to go out and buy one and pour the vodka down the drain and just keep. The they bottle. are expensive. I think, I, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, like we're talking like three figures. Or, I think so. Uh, if you go out and buy the crystal skull vodka, um, don't throw the bottles away because those I, they look pretty damn cool.
2: You know what you can get though for relatively cheap since we're talking about vodka. <laughs> crystal Skull has well I mean we're here we may as well stay here for a minute uh, yeah. Crystal Skull has started making those little like two shot bottles now you know they oh, you can really? buy the little sample bottles behind the counters they're like little two hitters and they are they skulls make, huh? yes they make them and they are little tiny little tiny crystal skulls so th- they're you adorable hey, like you could have your whole collection of little baby skulls Here's what deal, creepy Sarah. in any way. Yeah.
3: it all comes back to the same issue money right yeah these skulls were manufactured beginning in the 19th century as as things to sell as things that people thought well that's really cool that's interesting we will buy them for a lot of money and now it just all comes back to why would you pay extra money for vodka I don't know if it's good vodka bad vodka I don't care right it's just kind of potatoes gone bad as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> why Why would you pay extra? Because it's in a cool skull. So it's all about commerce. It's all about marketing. It's all about making a buck. And well, and it always fine, has been. And it always has been. So, I, you know, we've seen that theme again and again and again in these podcasts. And ultimately, from the Cardiff Giant to Crystal Skull Vodka, it's all about can we make something that people think is really old, really mysterious, and can we make a buck to it? Can we make a buck by selling tickets so people can come and look at the Card of Giant? Can we make a buck by making crystal skulls that people will pay lots and lots of money for to put in museums? Can we make a buck by making vodka and telling people, wow, we filter it through diamonds and it's in a, a mystical skull shape? It's all about
2: it's all about the Benjamins in the end, isn't it? <laughs> So have we have we talked this to death? Is that so we're getting yeah, on we have,
3: here? Yeah, I think that now it's time for us each independently, Sarah, in our own homes, to go get a go get some vodka and drink a whole bunch of vodka and until we puke or until we fall asleep. Um I think if yeah, we watch
2: I, a, I think if we drink a bunch of vodka and then watch Indiana Jones and the kind- Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls, you will see why it is such a wonderful movie.
3: Yeah. But I do I do I truly recommend um, everybody to go on the website and Sarah will put up the link to the YouTube commercial and just take a look at it because it's a lot of fun. Um, I mean, it's, it's bizarre because maybe they're serious about it, but it is a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> he is a comedian. A modern, yeah, you have to, to watch a modern exploitation of an archaeological fake by leaving the, the, the watcher with a, you know, the question of, well, maybe there's something legitimate about this. <laughs> but but it's weird. It is really weird. On the one hand, you got it's the skull of doom. Do you want to drink anything out of the skull of doom? That doesn't sound yeah. really appetizing to me, but maybe that's your thing. So go, go watch the commercial. Um, read the, the, the Jane McLaren Walsh article. Yes. Was, was that in the Smithsonian Magazine? I thought there was one in Archaeology Magazine as well. There, It's a wonderful, wonderful article. It's inside wonderful out of the articles. Archaeology
2: Museum or Archaeology yeah, Magazine.
3: Archaeology Magazine. It's a great article. She did an amazing it is. job. Um, and, you know, that's look at her article for how a scientist approaches a claim. No matter what the level of that claim is, even if you can think it's a silly claim. You can think it's a legitimate claim. Makes no difference. This is how we test something. And she did just an absolutely exemplary job. It's a wonderful article. You know, read that, listen to our podcast, and and watch the video, and go buy yourself a a a magnum of crystal skull vodka, and and that's all that's all you need. That's all she wrote.
2: All right. Well, thank you, Ken.
3: Absolutely, Sarah. And let's hope the next time we 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 film what we film we record one of these things, it's not the temperature of Venus oh, in right. my um, office here.
2: Right. No, seriously, it needs to cool off some. It's supposed to be autumn. Go away, go away, summer. Right.
3: So talk to you soon, Sarah. Thumbs talk up, to another great care. episode. Talk soon. Roundhouses and
2: romans, human Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Our music was provided by ArcheoSoup Productions. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher and share us wherever you use social media. You can contact us with your questions, comments, or angry email at archiefantasies at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast at com slash archiefantasies. You can follow the blog at com, and get updates on Tumblr and Twitter at archiefantasies. You can also look for us on Facebook. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, go to the podcast website at slash archiefantasies. Thanks again for listening. We don't do
1: dinosaurs! See? This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then, there are drinks from McDonald's.
4: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
1: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
0: Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check.